Hello, and welcome to a new episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast from Startup Daily. My name is Gina Baldessari, and my guest on this episode is Nicola Farrell. Now Program Manager at the Murudi Accelerator in Sydney, Nicola has been working with startups for almost a decade. Originally from Ireland, she led startup and accelerator engagement for the Web Summit Conference before moving to Sydney and starting an early-stage startup incubator, Polonizer. I had a chat with Nicola about her experience with Polonizer, how the Australian startup ecosystem has developed over her time down under, and her role with Murudi. Let's have a listen. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Now, you have a fascinating background when it comes to the Australian and particularly Sydney startup community. You've done so much, seen so much. How did you first get interested in, you know, the, the tech and startup space? I've always been interested in business. I remember doing business in school and then doing business in, uh, as an undergrad and always been fascinated with business. Um, and then I got into sales. So I began my career selling. And I think that was, a, I mean, for anybody that's starting a career, it's a great foundation. You learn so much about being rejected, about influencing people, talking to customers, small talk. I have learned a lot about small talk in my, in my sales career. And I think that kind of bridged me towards getting interested in startups. Uh, my first inkling around technology and getting involved in all that stuff was um, around the time Twitter emerged, I think it was 2009. And um, yeah, I was just really interested in getting into digital marketing. So as a salesperson, all I wanted to do was digital marketing. And, uh, you know, I was in Ireland and, it, you know, the opportunities to get into digital marketing were not ample as everybody, that's what everybody wanted to do because Facebook was huge. and. People were using Twitter as, you know, great platforms to sell their products. So, um, yeah, so I transferred into tech around that time and there was less opportunity to get new jobs. It was not a great time to change your career. <laughs> it was possibly the worst time. But I said, why not? Like I was in my late 20s and it was the, be- it was the, the internet was going wild. And uh, I was just really excited by it. I just thought I was fascinated by, you know, people in Silicon Valley were setting up companies, they were scaling fast. There was, you know, there was huge excitement around that at that time. And I just took the punt and said, this is something I need to get involved in. So, uh, so worked on a couple of startups in Ireland. Um, then I got into the Web Summit, which at the time was not a huge uh, company. It was actually very small. I think it was the fifth employee, and and that was massive step change for me because I'd you know I was working in these tech companies, but what they were really doing was digitizing a traditional offering, and you know my background was able to support that because we were ultimately just selling in a new platform, whereas the Web Summit was like entrepreneurship. And that's, that was game changing for me. And it exposed me to the best and the brightest of some of these entrepreneurs that came over from Silicon Valley. They were speaking, like we were you know, hanging out with uh, amazing people. And um, you know, Dublin was on fire. It was just full of opportunity for people who didn't necessarily have a job, but were interested in starting up. And, and another thing that was really a benefit for a lot of these startups was 
there were great government incentives around this. So that really fueled the fire for, uh, for starting up in Ireland. But um, it was at that time that I decided to come to Australia. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I think everything changed when I got to Australia. Uh, it was a, a kind of a, a bit of a risk to come over. I think that was my entrepreneurial risk that I took. But why not? Like, it was just one of those things that I felt uh, I could learn a lot if I came over here. And, uh, but one of the drawbacks was the ecosystem wasn't bubbling. It was kind of quiet and um, uh, I didn't have any kind of job or anything like that. I just came over with my boyfriend at the time and uh, we just took a punt on, on Sydney. And why not? Like, what an amazing city to live in. And I think that's one of the reasons why like people move to Sydney from overseas is, is an amazing lifestyle and on top of that you can you know you can work and you know make it happen for yourself. So as you mentioned Dublin had so much going on you come to Australia the ecosystem is not really much of anything at that point what got you to think no I do want to work in the beginnings of the tech community here rather than just find any old job I suppose. Well, I think startups offer something a little bit more than the normal job. Um, you know, I wouldn't even say I was. I came in at the beginning, so the, you know, when I came in, I felt there, particularly at Polonizer, there was a lot of stuff that I'd missed out on. You know, they'd, you know, there was so much, so much of a legacy that they'd gone through, and um, you know, I think at the time that I came in, there was a, they were going through their own change as well. But I suppose why, you know, going back to why, would, why you would choose the startup over a corporate. Uh, I mean, I came over on my holidays and ended up staying. So I wasn't the typical person. I didn't have the opportunity that an Australian would have. So me going for a role versus an Australian role or Australian uh, person didn't really give me that opportunity. So, um, so yeah, I kind of, in that, in a sense, I may have compromised, but I mean, by no means was it, you know, a bad decision for me because I, you know, I realized the startups value curiosity over, you know, that linear process that's very much valued in a, in a corporate. Um, and, you know, I think I just took one day at a time. I, I, was, I wasn't too worried about it at the time, to be honest. I was like... Yeah, let's just do this. I mean, you know yourself when you're when you're at that age and you don't you're a bit, a bit more carefree about your career decisions. Yeah, then looking back years later, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did that. I know, and like I just did. I made so many weird decisions, and now I look back, going, there must have been a reason for that. And I think everything builds from the last thing you do, and it's it's, it's you know it's. Your career is not a linear upward trajectory. It is about seeking out different types of things and then learning and, and just having that having that appetite for change. I think that's going to really excel you you know during that time in your career. You yeah. mentioned um, Polonizer, and already by the time you came here, it had done so much and had a legacy of its own already. You know, how would you describe it when you got here? What were they, what were they doing, and what did you get on board with them to do? So I, even though I'd worked in tech startups in Ireland and had been exposed exposed to the 
to the world of startups, Polonizer was a very different space. There was a big focus around startup methodology, and that was a brand new thing for me. You know, there was a method in creating these startups and getting, um, you know, working with these companies at that time was very exciting. Um, so I was take I went on, I came on board initially just to you know i was just helping out i was running around i was you know to running the events you know my role would just like switch and change and like i was literally doing all the things so everything that you could think of and um yeah it was just really exciting to to see you know a, a group of companies start and you know working with developers and, and getting insight into you know what are they learning and why are they you know, why are they concentrating on one kind of product and what that looks like? So, um, so yeah, like I can't even pinpoint the first year. It was just very ad hoc and uh, sporadic. <laughs> Looking back to that sort of time, like, again, we've talked about how much the community has changed and the number of companies that are here now and just the number of people in the startup community as well. But, you know, back then, what kinds of companies were you you seeing and how were you, you know, getting people interested in coming to events and learning about startups and, and what kind of people were you seeing? So there was two things. There was the one, so we did boot camps where they were free and that was for deal flow and we were trying to, excite people about startups but um, a lot of those people would be interested in then coming into the incubator and building a product with us uh, and then on the other hand we actually evolved that model into a an academy and that was a place where people could actually learn the skills of uh, being an entrepreneur and uh, my role in that was very much like attracting the right kind of people, uh, you know, all the logistics around producing that event and making it all happen. So I was selling, I was marketing, I was, you know, getting people in the door. <clears throat> and again, I got the I got the benefit of learning all of the <laughs> all of the amazing um, curriculum throughout that time. So uh, for me, it was great. But there wasn't a huge market to, to get people in. So I think a lot of people were working in corporates and they uh, may have been disenchanted by their own role, and which is still the case today, that people are like, you know, have this burning idea. Uh, what was great about that time was, um, you know, there was a lot of ideas and Polonizer was a solution for helping people just get that first MVP out, out the door so helping people really test something and then learning the process around that so rather than you know the waterfall process where people were building out you know the whole entire website polonizer was really trying to educate the community around you know there is a simpler way to do it and it's more cost effective and you will gain a lot of advantage by learning quickly in that process rather than building the, the entire uh, business out so um so yeah like going back to your question uh, how, you know how do you reach these people it was really really difficult and you know not as many even people weren't interested in working in startups because the option or the opportunity was working in in the large corporates and and getting paid a whole lot more for it yeah that's something i still find quite interesting today um you know especially with all the reports coming out around like founder mental health and how much you know founders and teams are actually getting paid and 
um, you know, on the one hand, you kind of have people being like, everyone should start a startup and, you know, we need to be all about entrepreneurship. And then, you know, this other side where it's like, oh, actually, like, you can understand why people would want to go to a corporate because there's security, nice pay, and mm. the guarantee of pay every month. But, um, yeah, it's not often talked about. But it's, it's simply not practical for people to not earn a, a wage, particularly in Sydney. So, I mean, I was literally just having this conversation with one of, us, one of the startups at Murdy and we were talking about super and I was like, oh, so you, you probably don't have super if you're not paying yourselves, you know, you don't have super. And, you know, those are the, the really important things that, you know, people just leave by the wayside because they're so focused on solving this problem. Um, and, you know, su- like I, I certainly don't have the benefit of a, of a lot of super either. You know, and that's something I think about. Um, I read a really interesting article um, about the portfolio career, which is something that is emerging as something that is, it's, a, it's, it's another option for people. But, you know, where do you get your benefits that you would get in a corporate, like your maternity leave or, again, your super? Um, what are those benefits that are not available to you because you're working for yourself? And I think that's something that the government needs to look at um, because, you know, people's roles are transferring into those more uh, d- distributed um, situations. So, you know, how are we making sure that people are protected in those type of roles? Yeah, and that's an interesting point. So, you know, as you mentioned, you were talking to a founder at Muradee about this. Um, You know, how have you seen conversations around that side of things evolve over time? The conversations of uh, like financials and being being concerned about that. I I really don't think a lot of people are too worried about it. um, But I think that there's only a certain amount of time that you can do that for. And again, like these entrepreneurs who are working on solving the problem, they are very passionate about it. So, um, you know, that passion is really driving their, their want and need to kind of go after it. Uh, but again, like eventually people need to get paid. So that's again why people look for investment and uh, try to, you know, progress the, the company to the next stage. And you mentioned before as well that um, you were getting people from corporates interested in um, the, the things that Polymizer was doing because they were disenchanted with, you know, their corporate role and that kind of thing. And I know you also ran corporate programs as well. How did that side of it evolve? Well, that's actually really interesting because so we started off with the Polymizer Academy and that was the lean startup for uh corporates for entrepreneurs so we were actually selling to entrepreneurs and to corporates which didn't make a lot of sense and again for for, to the like forever from that day selling to entrepreneurs is not a good business model it's not a good strategy particularly for a ecosystem supporter like pollinizer so uh, that's when we decided well not me personally but that's when the decision was made that corporates were they were potentially a good revenue stream and that's when we started looking at uh, so we were selling pro we were selling seats and then we began selling programs the programs were essentially the you know the boot camps the workshops training people about entrepreneurship so training corporates about entrepreneurship 
And again, it's a mindset. So it's about you know shifting people into uh, being you know making the, making these tools accessible so that they could apply it in their own role, and then taking those type of programs into big innovation programs that were, you know, from you know defining problems, doing boot camps, hackathons, accelerator programs, the whole kit and caboodle. Uh, that was the you know the entirety of the of the innovation program, and that you know that evolved over like three or four years. So um, so yeah, it was really fascinating to be involved in that whole process from the very beginning, and then um, and then to be selling programs to you know a company in New Zealand where we were in Shanghai and went to uh, New Zealand and we were traveling around the place, and you know it was a really critical time when you know corporate corporate innovation was was going off the charts and 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 it was felt the pollinizer had a great formula for that so um so yeah a really fascinating time to be involved in that what was it like selling to corporate back then in terms of their engagement and, and how serious about it they were like what did you see yeah so i think it has to solve a problem for a corporate and I think it has to be built into their overall ecosystem development. So are they, you know, they don't have to engage with startups, but they definitely need to be thinking about new revenue streams. And I think that's, that continues to be the case. Um, but also, I think the interest around corporate innovation was people were seeing that entrepreneurs were operating faster and they wanted to bring that into the corporate mindset. And I think the challenge and why people are like, oh, it doesn't really work, is because corporates are not able to operate like a startup. The decision-making process is very difficult, which I learned, you know, actually going into the other side and, and seeing that perspective. But a, a corporate finds it really difficult to operate like a startup, but they can certainly engage with a startup being their first customer and I think that's the the bigger opportunity but it really is a timing issue so the timing has to be right for the startup to solve the problem for the corporate and the corporate has to have the capability so that they're able to you know collaborate with the startup it is a very difficult connection and I think it's something that's evolving over time um, and I really, yeah, I mean, I've, I've got high hopes for it to, to work. You know, as the ecosystem grows, a lot of the startups are going to advance and they're going to, you know, be more ready to connect with corporate. So I think it is a, only a matter of time before. Uh, where I, where I um, this is a personal view, where I don't see the value is very, very early stage startups connecting with corporates uh, because I believe that they begin to influence the idea um, they, um, you know, have requirements that are not suitable for the startup. So I feel that, you know, the more later, the later stage the company, the startup, I should say, um, the more likelihood of success for that connection to actually come into something good. What was it like in terms of the process for you guys at Pollinizer at the time in, you know, working with a corporate to design a, an innovation program for them? I mean, it was quite challenging at times, but they, but we had what they needed. We had, uh, you know, the the formula. We had uh, a plan. We could put it together, and it, it it was so different. Like there were so many different types of programs that could be run. Uh, some would 
be very minimal and that would be quite easy. But the big, big programs that were six, month long, six months long, uh, yeah, they took a lot out of you, but they were certainly very rewarding, you know, to come out the other side and, and to see that some of these companies were quite serious about um, innovating and, and creating their own ventures. What do you think is the benefit of having also worked with corporates in a sort of startup capacity and understanding the way they work? Do you think that that benefits you in working with startups? Yeah, absolutely. And I wish I'd done it earlier um, because I did it the wrong way around. I think having that corporate experience gives you a new discipline. It, uh, it helps you understand the pace of a corporate. So I was selling to a corporate and not really understanding the layers that are involved in that decision making process and just not understanding, like, why would they not respond to my email <laughs> immediately? Like, no idea. And then I went into working on the other side and I was working with vendors and, you know, had that, which I, you know, so excited about. I'm going to be on the other side. It's going to be so much easier. And it's actually not. <laughs> that's what I learned. It's not easier. It's actually harder because you've got this great opportunity to do a project. And then you what you have to do is influence so many people within the organization and you know talk to the right people and just hustle your way through so um, even though i was hustling in the startup in the startup world i had to get my hustle boots on in the corporate world as well so having and just being able to interchange between the two is is i think it's a it's a good skill to have mm. i think a lot of startups also might think that even though a corporate has an innovation team or innovation department or all the the innovation departments we talk to in a corporate are actually like yeah we are the startup within this corporate and no one really <laughs> listens to us <laughs> you know whereas you know startups even look at them and are like yeah but you know you work at so and so so you have all this money and you can do this and this and this i mean the grass is always greener isn't it. it like you're always you're always on one side and uh, but I just think you have to make the best use of, of what you can. And, and entrepreneurship is not just about setting up a company. It's actually about operating beyond your, your uh, existing resources. So you can be entrepreneurial in a large corporate, but you can also be entrepreneurial in a startup. And it's actually, again, coming back to it, it's a mindset. And it's actually giving, it, it's allowing yourself to, to make certain decisions. And then uh, if you can't make the decisions, you know, creating the relationships so that you can influence. And as you mentioned, you then went to a corporate, but then found your way back to pure startup land. Yes. Well, I wouldn't say pure, but you definitely, definitely engage. So Muradi is the Telstra backed accelerator. We offer a program for six months to early stage companies that are really looking to build new growth into their into their business and um, come on a six month journey with us. We offer a 75K on a safe note and um, offer co-working space and, you know, bring these startups on an incredible journey uh, over that time. And uh, so far, Murdy, again, as I said, has invested in 128 companies that has a very big portfolio to look after um, and um, yeah that's really it. <laughs> you are program manager for Muradi. Um what does that role entail for someone who might be like what what does a program manager do? 
Wow. Well, again, I just Everything. all the things. <laughs> So I've just gone back to doing all the things, which is great. But I mean, Muradi is amazing. Like, you know, it, when we talk about some of the big shifts in the startup ecosystem, I think Muradi plays a really important role and has done. Bef you know, when, when Muradi was launched and, you know, invested in 10 startups, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that was the first of its kind in Australia. Uh, Polonizer had a very different model and Muradi was, you know, Telstra backed, going out to the market, getting 10 companies and, and finding and finding female founders as well, which, you know, unearthing people who are working in these businesses and, and, and you know, taking them through a process where they're, you know, creating a more robust system within their own startup and like maximizing the potential of the startup and the founder. Um, that was just an amazing thing for the ecosystem. And now, look, obviously the, this, the, the market has changed. There's a lot more accelerators now. There's a lot more potential for people to get involved in growing their startup. But, you know, Muradi is, you know, it definitely held something in my heart. I had, I'd worked with them previously when, when I was at Polonizer, just very small engagement, you know, helping them with events and stuff and helping them with finding companies. But, you know, to come in as the program manager to lead Sydney is, a, is incredible. Is a, it's an incredible privilege. And um, I've just finished doing SID5. So I came in mid-program. Uh, we had SID5, so that's the fifth cohort. Overall, Muradi has invested in 128 companies. And through that, so they bring them in. So 50 of those, obviously, in Sydney. And um, yeah, so I came in. So what does the program manager do? So we're going into SID6. And I am, you know, defining who that startup is, uh, looking at the design of the program, uh, you know, what are the deliverables, working with the entrepreneur and residents and the coaches, running the mentor program, uh, developing an investor engagement model as well. So, you know, it's jam-packed. <laughs> Obviously, you are the program manager, but what else goes into actually the day-to-day -day running of the program in terms of you know for someone who doesn't might think okay I know an accelerator in theory but you're working from the space every day what do you actually do what kind of you know mentors do you put them in touch with what kind of sessions do they go through who's working with them so because again we're very general um, and we accept such a diverse uh, section of the tech community uh, we do try and customize uh, a learning program for each company, but again, we need to uh, wrap that within a program so that it's sustainable and manageable to run. The program itself operates on a week-to-week -week basis, so we do a cadence where there is generally a weekly workshop, um, and then we do coaching sessions with our entrepreneur in residences. Uh, and that is the opportunity for the startups to, to really have that one-on-one -on -one exchange with, a, with an entrepreneur that their experience um, would emulate what they're going through. They've got, the, they've got the, um, their own entrepreneurial stripes, but they're now looking to um, give back and, and help companies within that early stage of their, of their, um, of their progress. And, and it's very different. So we, we offer, some of the entrepreneurs are very tech focused, some are product focused, some have sales. Um, and again, the, we, we also have our, our mentor program as well, which is you know, literally 
people working across corporate, successful entrepreneurs. Um, so each tech company or each company within the cohort uh, will either, um, they will have a t an EIR, but they'll also get access to a mentor network that will help them untangle any issues, um, even give them further recommendations on who to talk to if it's a customer. Um, but essentially what Murdy really helps with is uh, it opens doors and it enlarges networks and uh, those are really key to moving your company faster. How have you seen the companies in the cohort work with each other as well like as the the six months goes on? And it's absolutely critical because that co cohesiveness within a cohort uh, enables more learning because you learn you know you, you you see other companies that have the same problems as you so that's why we we run workshops so that everybody's together and um, again we run this the uh, stand-ups so that everybody's together also and um, you know you're bringing everybody along on that journey so learning from each other is is almost as critical from learning from those that have done it before you mentioned that when you had come to to polonizer the the, the, the education that you were giving founders was something that was quite you know new to you I guess and to the ecosystem but looking at for example the companies that you were working with in SID5 mm. are the founders that are coming in um, what's their level of understanding of these kinds of concepts and you know like lean startup methodology and all of that what do they already know like are, are the founders already more educated that you're seeing and I guess the ecosystem in general or what's it like? Oh yeah I definitely think there's de there's more of a startup knowledge or there's you know people are there's a sophistication around people you know there's a digital acumen that is I don't think it was around as much before and um, a lot of the so what's interesting about Muradi is the startups that are chosen to go into the or go into the cohort, the founders from those businesses will have had some kind of domain experience. They will have, you know, and they'll be looking at that problem and really trying to, you know, to solve it in a new way. Um, and they, what we look at for these founders is curiosity. So, you know, naturally people go and they try and solve these problems and they'll just, there's so much available online now. Like there is just endless blog posts and you know Udemy courses and everything is available online that you know you can just take a weekend and, and literally take some time out and learn how to do some you know growth hacking experiments or you know learn quickly about um, customer development like so all of this information is really accessible and um, so you know it goes in line with the founders that we're looking for are those that are really really curious about every element of their business and they're willing to apply though apply themselves and um, deeply so that they're you know equipped to progress the business now I, I think overall people are you know i think in general everybody's kind of learning pretty quickly and and um, this i mean there must be an event for everything yeah. so you can you know you can you can learn but i think that the the key learning is in the business so when you're in the business and you're talking to customers and you know you're getting out there and 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 you know getting all the no's that is how you quickly uh, learn fast about your business and um you know talking about before you 
you know, back in the the early days of Polarizer and trying to get people into events and the things you were doing and, you know, where to even <laughs> market these events. Now, <laughs> event as we <you> said, <laughs> there's just, uh, like, people popping up everywhere and there's so many places that you can put events out to and get people to come along. When you're, as you said, trying to define the sort of startups that you're looking for and really you know look through the applications what are you what are you looking for because there's so many people out there everyone's starting a startup well what where Meridi sits in the ecosystem we're very general in what we look for and that's our advantage i think we are open to all types of tech we're looking for startups that have a product in the market so they're testing uh, if, if I have a conversation with a startup, a founder, and they're telling me some really exciting things that they learned from a customer, I love them. They are, they are exactly who we're looking for. Because obviously we want to get, you know, we want to get these passionate founders who are really trying to solve this problem, but they're building something that people are really, really interested in, people are, you know, loving. And, uh, and we have found that, like a lot of the companies in fact, most of the companies in the Muradi cohort have, have accomplished that. And that's exactly why um, they were part of that cohort. Um, but yeah, we're pretty open. So any apps, SaaS, um, any deep tech, uh, anybody that is you know, trying to solve a global pro a problem. Um, and we want to have uh, amb ambitious founders. So they're interested in, in looking outside of Australia as well. Uh, one of the perks of being part of the program is that we do an international trip and as part of that we will go to another market and meet investors, uh, tech companies, um, founders, you know, successful founders and it's a way of you know uncovering and learning what's happening outside of Australia so that's a big big advantage of being inside the program as well. What do you think are, you know, there are so many accelerator programs out there right now and a lot of them are, you know, like industry specific or, or whatever. What do you think is the, the advantage, as you put it, of Murudi being more of a general program? Um, it means that we're more accessible to maybe some of those products that uh, take a little bit longer. Because we're a six month program, there's probably a little bit more that you can experiment with at that time. Uh, some of the programs are only three months so um, and that's another thing with who we look for uh, uh, these companies have to be able to advance within six months so it needs to be something that they can test within that time so where it's probably not great for are some of those maybe energy companies or some of the really harder business models that are take a longer time to validate we uh, we probably would look for something that you can you know progress or advance within that within that um, within that six month period uh, one of the companies that we worked with was AMSL Aero who are were building a vertical aircraft which as you can imagine is not something that's you know uh, an end product is very much in the in the testing phase and what I learned on our demo night, which we had in July, was that they've actually had three iterations of that model. So they've been able to test three different versions within the six months. So even though it's something that, you know, is pretty far in, in, in terms of horizon, um, you know, they're looking to commercialize for, they're not looking to commercialize for another five or so years, even longer. But at least if there's something that you can test 
and you can progress within that six months, that's something that we're really interested in, in helping. We, you know, they're the type of companies that we want to work with. You mentioned as well that Marie D, you know, has been able to attract a lot of like, diverse founders. How have you been able to do that? Yeah, I mean, very proud to say that of all of the 10 companies, seven of the companies had at least one, one co-founder that was female. And um, where are we finding them? I, I mean, I think the ecosystem has evolved considerably in the last couple of years. Like She Starts is an example of that. Springboard is another example. There's Tech Ready Women. There are, you know, they are great. Um, I suppose they're good, good deal flow for us. Um, they are educating female founders and helping them get the start that they need so that they're ready for an accelerator down the track. And looking at the evolution of the, you know, the startup ecosystem here, from looking back from when you came to, to now, is there anything that you look back and you're like, I never would have imagined that like this would have happened? I suppose I'm surprised that there has been such an interest from the government, but I, you know, at the, on the other side, I'm not surprised. Like they, they really have to. I think there's a lot that could be done to support the grant system and this, you know, you just need to look at Ireland. It's got a lot more, um, there's a lot more fuel to put into these startups and Ireland's a very small country compared to Australia. What's been your favourite part of watching the ecosystem grow over the last couple of years? I've been really happy to see um, a more diverse looking founder um, you know gone are the days where the founder of a company had to wear a t-shirt and a baseball cap now we see uh, you know very diverse looking founder there's all age all race um, and th I think that's what you know that is what strengthens the ecosystem and will make us operate faster and that's what I you know the, one of the things I say about Murdy is Murdy has a great opportunity, like Murdy's cohort can reflect the ecosystem on a whole because we, we are such a general, generally focused um, accelerator. Um, so so in that, within that vein, um, I think it's great that we've got such, a, such an array of great founders to choose for, for our program. And what has kept you wanting to, you know, work with, early stage companies? There's, again, going back to the curiosity, there is, you know, the startups value curiosity over that knowledge, and there's an accessibility around startups, there's a great energy, there's something, you know, there's such an intense energy around these startups, you know, working day to day, trying to solve problems, um, and not having to know all the answers. It's a complete discovery process end to end. And I feel, I, me personally, I feel more comfortable in that environment. I don't know why. Um, and yeah, just to see them progress week to week is just fascinating. That's it for this episode of the Glass Ceiling Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any thoughts or comments, you can reach us at editor at startupdaily.net. If you like the podcast, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you found the podcast. And otherwise, we'll see you next time.